talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Are you gonna post this? She's posting it now. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of More Like the Worst Wing, a fitting title this week, uh, as this episode was pretty pretty awful and pretty busy and all over the place. But before we get into that, hello, I'm Dave. And I'm Stu. And this is our show, Worst Wing, where we take a look back at The West Wing, Aaron Sorkin's seminal work, from a modern socialist leftist perspective, here now in 2022. I know it's been uh, a while, but... Your end was we just god-awful, so... Yeah, <laughs> the, we figured a little hiatus for the holidays, and then it's my busy season at work, and just, yeah, things got out of control, but we should be back on track now, cruising through season six. Here we are, episode five, entitled The Hubbard Peak, uh, which is a energy concept regarding peak oil, which is sort of a theme of this episode as we start off with Josh at a car dealership eyeing a Prius. Yeah, so Josh is being like, oh, wow. And, I mean, let's be clear, this is, the entire cold open is going to be a ham-handed metaphor here. Right. In in that, basically, Josh goes to this place, drops some trivia on the poor car salesman. He's like, well, actually. Actually, gas prices aren't the highest <laughs> because of, um pushing up glasses with inflation um, uh it was actually the highest in 1982 thank you if you Back see when in it was this is my favorite part is he drops the number two dollars and 80 cents a gallon the high the highest gas has ever cost in america yep must be tough well um you see dave now here we're we're 18 years down the road from when this show was recorded so actually that would be more like four dollars in 2022 yeah, and so he gets real nerdlinger with the fucking car salesman who's just trying to, like, sell a car, but also, like, doesn't seem to care because they have a waiting list for the Prius that's, like, eight months long. So he's it's like, yeah, you can buy anyway. it or not. Like, fu- <laughs> like fuck it. <laughs> I, don't, so, I don't know, man. I'm just, I just work here. <laughs> yeah, he's like a real cavalier. He's the most cavalier salesman I've ever seen. Like, car salesmen are normally desperate as shit, and he's like, yeah, you can buy it or not. We got a waiting list. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, I, I really hope that's if, if the character was in real life it's like that's a deliberate choice yeah. to just be like nah fuck this guy <laughs> yeah he does, and so if this whole code open I, I really like that we're digging into it because it's like a whole not only is it a microcosm for the energy subplot in this episode but I feel like it's the writers like I don't know kind of hitting at or maybe this is just the read I take on it hitting at this stupid American thing where Josh is like Oh, sure, there are all these cognitively, logically smart arguments for me to get a Prius, but look at big SUV, make my man heart go vroom. (laughs) Like, yeah, it's, you know, my head wants this car, but my dick wants that one over there. But, like, Josh is supposed to be, like, smart guy. Yeah, and he's he's the (laughs) least, he's like the least manly of all of the characters. (laughs) Right. So... So, I don't know, like, I feel like it's sort of a crack on American culture of, like, or maybe it's sort of a defense of the average American of, like, the pull is just too strong. We get it. You want big SUV. Yeah. Oh, it's... Even Josh want big SUV. We all want big SUV. 
it's 2004, gas prices are great, or like, you know, whatever it is, because this is when, I mean, legitimately, this was the era of the ever-increasing mm-hmm. fucking SUV. I said, uh, my buddy yeah. had an expedition in college, and his mom had, like, a new excursion at some uh-huh. point, and the excursion yeah, is the most extravagant, ridiculous yeah. car yeah, my college roommate also had a big SUV he got given in high school because, yep, this was right around that time of just, like, SUVs were everywhere. And so the whole episode has a big running subplot, thanks to Josh, about um, fuel economy and all that. But wait, hang on. We haven't gotten to the actual comedy button of the cold open, which is so Josh gets in the big F-off SUV that's basically the Canyon Arrow from The yes, Simpsons. this is a fucking Canyon <laughs> <laughs> Seats 45 yeah <laughs> canyon arrow um and so he gets in it and so he was talking to like this guy who's there to pick up his prius with like his teenage daughter and the guy's like oh yeah i love the prius and as you said like he's the most like sorkin scripted like random dude on the street where he just immediately starts spouting like talking points of yeah. like well you know well you got the individual's got to look out for himself because you know emission standards aren't certainly aren't getting raised by the bartlett white house <laughs> it's it's literally tailor made to plug into the thing but it's scripted as some random dude that josh runs into the party and i was like Oh, uh, okay. Like, oh, I see you've prepared a soliloquy for when I randomly run into you. Yeah, it's it's really bizarre. And then so Josh gets in the big SUV to do the test drive. And then Donna calls him. And because he's on the phone and trying to like back around and, and, man- and handle a car he's not familiar with, he ends up running smack dab into the dude's brand new Prius that he's picking up from the dealership. And uh, the dude's teenager snaps a picture of it with her cell phone and it goes to a blog uh, and becomes a bit of a nightmare for the White House in this episode. Yeah, I also like your note about that he totaled the the Prius with just basically uh, nudging the back wheel. Yeah, (laughs) apparently, yeah, later on a reporter claims that Josh totaled it with this like extremely minor five mile per hour collision. Uh, So maybe it's an early Tesla? (laughs) Wonky wheels. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all the wompy wheels just fall off uh, sorry wompy i said wonky but you know whatever <laughs> yeah well in west wing they're wonky wheels yes, yes. <laughs> so that that entire ham-handed metaphor of a cold open leads into basically the like the sort of only real political issue yes throughout yeah, the like, episode this is something that they actually dig into and and actually you know for all the crap we give the show about not digging into an issue they actually do uh although they do a terrible job of it um so yeah it's about emission standards and there's going to be some bill that is not that is like it's passing but it's not passing with the emission standards they wanted because they lost that fight in committee or something Mm -hmm. like that or they they didn't have the votes kind of thing and so in response josh decides to call a alternate energy summit meeting um, with which has apparently been something been put off for many many years based on how how the attendees uh, are like I've been waiting for this meeting for like seven years and he gets solar ethanol wind and hydrogen uh, p- spokespeople there to basically okay give me your pitch for how we get off fossil fuels and it, it's 
great in theory and I would love and we actually we do learn some things about each form of energy that are useful to the viewer to learn but it's also set up in this way that they're just a bunch of like put them up knock them down straw men where like oh so you think building solar panels is the answer well did you realize that there aren't enough solar panels yet <laughs> yeah yeah and like oh hydrogen storage you say you know what else stored hydrogen the hindenburg Boom. and that blew up <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like and they're all dunking on each other too which is weird like that they aren't like sort of have at least a little bit of solidarity against, like, we're all up against the fossil fuel industry that runs this fucking White House. Yeah, I mean, and there, it's just, there's a lot of the uh, the conflation of because, and actually I think they do a pretty good job with the actors, like the casting of them. You don't hear too much yes. of the, like, um, crunchy granola bashing that you usually get, right. but they do just come off as just these sniping, rubber like crabs in a bucket type of... Yeah. People. Like the the second any one of them is pitching theirs, the, the others can't wait to tear them down so that they can get their moment to pitch theirs in which the others will tear them down. And it's just like, it's so stupid. And so they all end up having like pros and cons basically, but the cons all seem like awful. And like the ones for the wind ones are just like, LOL, they're going to make fart jokes about your fucking wind campaign. <laughs> also, they're an eyesore. Oh, guess we can't yeah. build them. Yeah, and, like, the they make the solar one look stupid as possible with, like, well, we need X square miles of coverage, and they make it one giant square and put yes. it on the map. <laughs> like, like that's how they would be laid out. <laughs> that's exactly how we would build them. We would put them all in the exact same sp- spot, because we are yeah. incapable of doing yeah. it any other so, way. And so, like, then later on, like, ten seconds later, he admits, like, okay, actually finding space is not the problem, because we wouldn't lay it out in a big square. Then I'm like, then why did you <laughs> why even did you, do that? Why did you make the argument, you dumbass yeah. Like, no, no wonder nobody listens to you. Yeah, you guys undercut your own stupid arguments. But anyway, yeah, so the actual problem with solar is that they aren't making enough panels. It's like, okay, but we can fix that problem, and we would have to if we want to go with the solar. We're going to have to, like, nationalize production and, like, scale it up and, and this sort of thing. But, like, that's not even thought of as a concept. It's just like, oh, there aren't enough solar panels. There's no way we could make more. Well, I mean, it's an interesting time, I think, in... in let's say network tv level media here because the the fight to sort of recognize quote unquote pollution as all encompassing mm-hmm. and eventually like peel back the layers of this onion of obfuscation around it to get to the heart of it being a problem of energy production like and carbon period. yeah like mm-hmm. yeah it's it's a it's a carbon burning economy problem it has not mm-hmm. necessarily i think it's they make some nods to it, but everything is also sort of couched in this idea of it being about oil production. And it's like, we, mm-hmm. we, we don't need to stop exploiting fossil fuels because they're just, like, they're bad. The, I, the concept of peak oil places at the forefront of these people's minds that the problem isn't that they're bad, the problem is that they're running out. 
Right, that we're going to run out. That's the problem. And then we'll be out of it, and then it will be bad. So we're really only getting these alternate fuel ideas together in case we run out of oil. Yes, exactly. Not as, not as a way to transition off oil. That's a very good point, yes. So, yeah, and it's pretty insidious because they also tie it in with, like, the, the president eventually brings it back to an economics discussion, which, oh, <laughs> yeah. okay, like, I'll, I'll give it to you, but you're also just completely ignoring what the United States... And, and granted, this was in 2004 when this was recorded, but it's like, yeah. And so the United States spent 18 years just fracking the oil somewhere else. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, you know, right. when and you boil this, it yeah. down to the supply and demand thing, it's, oh, well, the d- demand is pretty we inelastic. We'll just find right. it. We'll find new supplies and they'll be awful and they'll be yeah. worse somehow. And yeah. So, yeah, the titular Hubbard Peak, which is peak oil, basically, which is what the episode is entitled. And Kate brings it up at some point as like a national security concern. You know, we don't have to worry about that because of now fracking and stuff like that and whatnot. But like fracking's even worse almost. <laughs> Unironic. Thanks, Obama. Um, yeah. I did that. That was me. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so like there's and there's a nod to like the Saudi. Um, oh, my thing. God. And at one point, Kate goes on this thing about how like, <laughs> you know, like, oh, the next war, you know, I'll, the next war. Because she brings up the Hubbard Peak thing and that we're going to run out of oil in like 15, 20 years, like, you know, in our children's lifetimes. And I'll tell you this, the next war is going to be fought about oil. And that was said <laughs> in t- in 2004 when this episode was recorded, when we were just starting the Iraq fucking war. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. The Great. next war the is going to be about oil. We, current, we fought one in 1990 and we are currently fighting another it, one as it, this episode it's, airs. It's definitely not the past ones and the current one. <laughs> definitely not. Only the next one. Which is, which is, I guess, as a extremely high level concept, Kate having pattern recognition in this way is way smarter than anybody in the current administration's approach to the yeah. COVID crisis. <laughs> yes, because she does correctly nail that. Yes, every war has been about, about oil. oil. <laughs> At least all the ones in the Middle East. This way will be different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, well, if there's no new variants, yeah. then we'll be fine. <laughs> oh, man. Exactly. <laughs> Then Josh's, uh, his storyline kind of peters out with like, you know, oh, well, there's an economic argument. And like you said, Bartlett kind of brings it around to like the market is the glorious free market will solve the problem in its messy way. And like, it's like, A, no, it didn't. And B, the messy way just made shit way worse. Yeah. And I mean, there's also the like, if you leave it to economics, the concept of a free market generally being a farce anyway, when you're talking about the most pop, like most powerful country in the world. Like if if you're going to bring the Saudis into it, like I have one quick idea for how you can make them do whatever the fuck you want them to do. And that's stop selling them weapons. That would basically be their civil war would be over and they would lose in like six weeks. And they're dead set against that happening. So guess what? All the powers in uh, the United States pocket here. You can do whatever right. you want to oil prices. Yeah. And I feel like uh, the whole, it's all just such a fig leaf of like, oh, you know, well, we just want to get like, you know, domestic energy production up or whatever, like as opposed to buying foreign oil. But like, it's all a fig leaf. We just need to stop it all. Yes. It needs to go away. 
Like, people get, yeah, like you said, they, they get so hung up on, like, oh, well, we're just getting this alternate energy ready in case we run out of oil, but but without an actual plan to, like, transition off oil. It's just so frustrating because, like, the time frame that this show is operating in was probably the last possible chance that we could have, like, veered off the climate course we're on. Yeah, and... Like, ideally, it should have happened in the 70s and 80s or something, but, like, the early, you know, the late 90s, early aughts was probably our last off-ramp if we, like, really started taking it seriously then. Yeah, well, and and let's, if the, uh, you know, and this is a huge if because it would never happen in this way, but if we had really desired to bend the whim of empire towards ending fossil fuels, we could have done it. I think at at this point, the United States could have easily... Said, like I said, nope, nas- we're fucking nationalize, done. nationalize like the solar panel and the wind turbine places, you know, put them in places that they're not going to cause any problems nas- and bing, bang, boom within like five, 10 years done. Yeah. I mean, like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have at that point, you wouldn't have even necessarily had to build more nuclear plants. You could have just like, uh, yeah. you could have refit the ones that exist and maybe get the yeah. energy department involved. And, you know, then like, yeah, I, but, it sounds but legit, simplistic. Like, Legit, cover Nevada in solar panels. Legit, like it's all desert. Like other yeah. than Vegas and Reno, like just cover that fucking state in solar panels. <laughs> fucking and no also, one's gonna miss it. Yeah, like it could have been, and and we have the technology, we have the knowledge, even back then, arguably. And the thing is, if we had started the process, we would have been learning along the way mm-hmm. and iterating and improving on it and, and doing refining. better. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And we'd probably have like some new super hype solar panel or wind turbine that is like way smaller and more efficient and what have you. Exactly. Yeah, and and your, your grid technology would have been upgraded and, you know, you could have written software deliberately based on the problems that you encounter. And so all of this is just like, this is what comes from next quarter thinking. It's mm-hmm. now we just and get no, to have a no blind panic. Term. Yeah. Now we yeah. have to have a blind panic because the, the planet's cooking itself. So cool. Yep. Great. So on that note, that mostly wraps up Josh's storyline. Let's take a break here and we will get into the other storylines in this episode. So this is a very busy episode, as I mentioned at the start of this episode, and there's just a lot going on. We get uh, Zoe's back. Zoe's back all of a sudden. Wow. We get, uh, who else? Uh, Leo. Leo shows up. Bingo Bob. Bingo Bob is up. Like, they, they rustled up everyone for this episode, and it's like, why this episode of all episodes? But there's so much going on. CJ is still dealing with her transition to chief of staff and is having issues there. Charlie is sort of having his own uh, ma- major subplot that sort of is like our major B plot for the episode where now that he graduated college or law school. Yeah, law school. Law school, that's right. Now that he graduated law school, he, him and Bartlett had a deal worked out where he would quit and stop being like a body man and go find an actual job to do with his law degree. 
and he doesn't want to because he really likes the job and he likes Bartlett and he wants to stay by him. And so, uh, Bartlett surprises him with like a little surprise party celebration. Like, Mm -hmm. Hey, you graduated. Here's some cake. Here's like the white house band playing. Here's Zoe, by the way, (laughs) my daughter. Congratulations, son. (laughs) Would would you like to resume dating her? (laughs) (laughs) You did it. Bring, bring me this comely lass as my reward. Yes. Give me my reward for my accomplishment. It feels it doesn't it doesn't happen in that moment. It happens later on, but it does sort of feel a little like tit for tat almost. <laughs> Literally. Um, so like there's <laughs> it's generally pretty scattershot. And they're I think like they're just wandering around in the wilderness until the campaign fires up, because at mm-hmm. this point in the show's arc and they know how long their seasons are, they're like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're going to have to start a whole exactly. new big plot. Right. Because the campaign's about to kick off any minute now. Well, it also, yeah. I mean, it it makes me wonder that, like, if there was some, maybe just like a conflation of contractual obligations, because they did mm, bring Kristen like Chenoweth on, get, right? Who and and fucking um, what's her name, Mary McCormack, both of mm-hmm. whom, I mean, obviously Chenoweth a little bit more than McCormack, but both of whom are, you know, B tripping into A tier actors mm-hmm, mm-hmm, here mm-hmm. so maybe there's just yeah they, they're just like well we have to make so many things yeah, with these got, people around a, yeah like gary cole is contractually supposed to be in x episodes so let's yeah. get him in this episode and and yeah okay maybe that kind of thing yeah because yeah yeah bingo bob shows up for just like a brief moment well and to, to kind like, of creep uh, on cj sort of i guess not yeah, really he does though this whole bit you're right he does this whole bit where he's like you know i respect powerful women cj like he's just like he's basically trying to be like i'm a feminist cj and therefore you should like me <laughs> and cj literally just does the like well that's great will you excuse me a moment and walks away <laughs> and, and leaves <laughs> yeah which is i guess the really only appropriate response to that kind of stuff I'm just like all right there buddy <laughs> sure and so yeah and then we get zoe back and zoe and charlie end up going on a date or like he asked her on a date and so they're gonna go out again i do want to comment on and this is something that we it's sort of outside of the scope of the episode they give charlie a nice box of resumes oh right yeah please go ahead <laughs> so this was i and when i saw this happen and i realized what it was it Literally, I had forgotten that this was a phenomenon that occurred, I don't know, between, I'm sure, 25 and 15 years ago, where, like, when you are ready to start your job, you'll you'll either have someone do it for you or you get just, like, a really nice case of, like, you know, hefty vellum-style paper. You know, you it's know, like, it's yeah, ivory, like it's bone. It's it's from right. the fucking like it's, American. It's the American psycho, like, oh, yeah, like, business card factory. But it's yeah. your your resume, and I just I distinctly remember in 2006 when I graduated from Duke, I went home and I think it was my aunt who got me a box of resumes because I had sent out my resume file or whatever. I'm like, look, I'm looking for a job. I'm trying to figure out what the fuck I'm doing. But it's this really nice $100 box of paper and the paper is covered in ink that basically says, graduated from college, worked part-time at a gas station, end of list. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> is this gonna, who is this impressing? <laughs> 
but it's 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 the Calvin and Hobbes book report approach of if I have a clear plastic binder oh, yeah, and, and it looks really good, then who cares about the content? <laughs> So Charlie gets a box of these and he physically hands them out around the White House. Now, at this point, obviously, his resume, certainly more than mine was, is, is like actually somewhat fleshed yeah. out. Yeah. But it's just he has it's all a, these, like little, you know, served on X committees that he can put on there and whatever. It's just such an early aughts thing that I was I was thrown back. Yeah really yeah. well by this episode <laughs> i'm surprised no one got him a briefcase uh didn't the first episode of the show establish that the yeah the gift, gift is a nice briefcase is a nice briefcase which uh he uh sam got for laurie the uh sex worker yeah and we never saw her again nope well no she came back that one episode for, <laughs> so that they could actually have a little mini debate about prostitution and whatnot but um Speaking of actresses, they can't afford anymore. Lisa Edelstein yeah. went to do House and never came back. Yeah, yeah, and she's making that House money now right. in royalties for life. God bless. So yeah, okay. So that's mostly Charlie's bit. Like you said, he asks out CJ at the or not CJ. He asks out Zoe. At I the mean, end. he he and shot then, no, his he, he shot his shot at CJ too. Like you know, he, he did, took it. He did. God, God bless. So, uh, but she was not. She's still on the Danny Concanon train. Um, in the back of her mind that that's going to happen at some point in this season. Spoiler. Oh yeah, that's right. And well, so, and also they will, they will actually get together now that she's not press secretary. It's not a conflict of interest anymore. Yeah. So Charlie takes the job basically with CJ is what happens. Right. So as he's handing out resumes, he meets with CJ and she's like, haha, you're handing out resumes. That's funny. And he's like, and then she's like, wait a minute, I need an assistant and I like you and we work well together. You come work for me. And I do like this bit where he's like, huh, that, that would be great. Can I think about it? And she's like, no, not really. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> like, no, you say yes right now. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> well, because, and so, we, we get clips of that yeah, throughout Charlie the episode. Charlie will be working with CJ. Yeah, from, because she's, from here on. she's stepping into her role pretty well. And yeah. the show, to its credit, takes pains to be, to show little vignettes of her yes. Taking the authority yes. on and dealing with it well. In yeah. the very beginning... They're, they're serializing her plot quite well. That's all I was going to oh, say. Yeah. Go ahead. So, in the very beginning, um, the press corps is in her chief of staff office <laughs> looking for a yeah. quote because Toby's so fucking bad at Toby holding sucks. press conferences. Yeah. And I just want to comment. CJ comes into her office and Margaret is like, it was like a human wave. They overwhelmed me. And she says, I don't care. Just get him the hell out of my office. And there's like a murmur of voices and there's some great Foley work. Just some random voice in the background that just mumbles, gotta get him out of there. Gotta get him out of there. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, get him out of there. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, random man. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for helping. Uh, yeah, we get bits of her, like, talking to, like, the decorator and stuff like that, who's, like, trying to pitch her, like, a chair for a 5'3 woman, and then CJ has a great comedy beat where she just stands up, Yeah, and the decorator's <laughs> like, yeah, all right, never mind. <laughs> not, not this chair, definitely not this one. <laughs> so, like, they have some good bits with CJ as they show her getting accustomed to the chief of staff role. She actually meets with Leo... He's at a good enough point in his recovery that he can take visitors. So they meet over lunch and he's like, hey, you know, they exchange some small talk about getting used to the job. But then the real purpose for the meeting is Leo's like, have you played chess with him? And CJ's so like, I don't really play chess. I don't see the importance. And Leo goes on this whole bit and I'll, I'll let you put the clip in here. The president gets regular physicals. 
And because of the MS, rather more regular MRIs and neurophysical tests. But MS is a disease of the central nervous system. It can affect cognition, perception, reasoning, judgment. What the doctors actually term executive function. As president of the United States, this needs to be monitored on a weekly basis. You need to get the president to play chess. About how it's so important for executive function to be to be tested on a weekly basis. And Joe Biden is president, everyone. <laughs> Joseph Robinette Biden is the president of the United can, States of America. <laughs> I picture asking Joe Biden to play chess. Joe, chess, man, man, you know you I, I the king I I got the king here. They they say king me, you used to call me king of checkers. That's yeah, what they, they call me. <laughs> You, you know what they say in, um, you know, what Corn Pop said about you come at the king, um, you better bring cookies, man. I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, my. Look at the time. <laughs> yeah. So it's it. I think the uh, the tease into the MS issue again, we're throwing shit at the wall mm-hmm. in this episode. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's it's well executed because theoretically you're thinking in the forefront of your mind about Leo's own medical issues currently. And, you know, CJ is personally and professionally concerned about him. So they kind of bait and switch it back into being like, oh, actually, like the president has a chronic condition. Right. And that we need to be worried about it. And so CJ's bit ends with her meeting with Bartlett. And since she doesn't really know chess much herself, they enlist some like military chess dude who's like, I don't know, like a a private or something, but is like the military's best chess player that they could (laughs) wrangle up on short notice. It's so cool. Yeah. And then, so like, he's there to like offer CJ advice and CJ's there to like monitor the president to make sure his brain still work good enough to do chess apparently. And, uh, and Bartlett has this funny bit where he's like, I'm giving you official presidential permission to kick my ass in chess, young man. And and then the young man smiles and like, that's pretty good. And that's how but, the, ep- uh, that's how they fade out the episode too. It's, yeah. You know, and that, that's our ending. <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, and, and CJ's there, there hasn't been much of the, like, when you think of a powerful office being turned over you think that the show's kind of gonna go in the direction of like mining the state secrets out of it and this is like you know this is like a soft one of those because they haven't done it in like a cheap way so far it's not you don't see her getting the classified briefings you don't see her down in the situation room right. too too often like you saw it last episode not for yet. a bit yeah not yet yeah it's mostly her dealing with like the day-to-day of it and and us getting uh, us watching her get used to it and like i said that's really good like i said it's good serialization where it's not just the next episode and she's suddenly perfectly competent chief of staff already yeah yeah um so yeah it's that's good. that's pretty good and it's cute too Credit especially where in credits this. <laughs> yeah in in this setting it's cute because you've got chess man being ordered to kick his commander in chief's ass which is very funny yes and then the final bit is toby which you touched on a bit earlier so Toby is, as you said, giving the press briefings and, as you said, awful at it. And I think that part is that part is fine. Like, he can be particularly bad at giving the press briefing. Uh, like, you know, he's, he's a speechwriter, and clearly he's good with words, but he's not great in front of a crowd. But then, so the solution to this is that Annabeth uh, Shaw, who is Kristen Chenoweth's character, 
she, uh, she is now moving into Sam's office, finally, by the way. Sam's office, finally occupied. Yes, I occupied. Just, <laughs> I was complaining about that like three episodes ago. I'm like, who's the replacement Sam? They haven't hired anyone. It used to be Will, but now Will works for the vice president. Well, the answer is Annabeth. Um, so she moves into Sam's office, and she's like, and Toby's like, all right, I fucking hate doing the briefing. You find my replacement. And she's like, on day one? No, I'm not doing that. I'm just going to give you tips on how to be better at the briefing. And she just gives him, like, such, like, speech 101 level, like, you know, like, stand up straight, project your voice. <laughs> like, like, like pivot tips if like, you need he, to. He's the White House <clears throat> Director of Communications and... <laughs> He frequently, as you said, advises other people on how to speak and how to use their language in, in such a way that it's the most effective. And, like, you have to give him speech 101 tips. And it made me think of, I forget who posted this, but I read it somewhere, as that Sorkin's favorite go-to to show that a new character is, like, super competent is to suddenly make everyone else in the scene a fucking idiot. And that's exactly what's happening with the Annabeth-Toby dynamic. Yeah, we are learning that Annabeth is smart because all of a sudden Toby is just a complete dumbass. T Toby doesn't know how to string two words together all of a sudden. And, like, he's he's a fucking speechwriter. Like, I understand if he's nervous about speaking in front of people and sort of the, and they try to play it off like that, but it's also just, like... Like, like she tells him, like, how to be persuasive. And it's like, yeah, I know. I've watched Toby do it in meetings in the show many times. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the I, I think I said before the show, like, the lack of self-awareness at least tracks because, like, you, you don't know you're this bad at it, Toby. You're completely in keeping with your character. Yeah, that that is true. So... Yeah, they play it for comedy, and it's fine. It's funny that Toby sucks at the briefing and stuff. And then, like, the but the, it's so funny that like, basically the tips she gives him to get better are perfectly on topic with, like, how uh, Jen Psaki is getting, like, crushed at the moment for giving all these, like, sarcastic, like, oh, what do you want us to do? Just mail test everybody type answers? Because, like, that's basically the advice she gives Toby is, like, just be, like, charming and jokey about it. Yeah, the <clears throat> the scale of the crisis with the Saki questions is like another world. And I'm just like, great. So when you're talking to a bunch of reporters who are feisty about like, I don't know, who are getting in your face about, I don't know, like a wildfire in Alaska. Great. Go, go nuts. Like use your use your folksy charm on them and stuff. But. When, when you're giving a press conference about how the administration has essentially ignored its way out of doing anything about a pandemic that's murdering 2,000 Americans a day. Yeah, maybe tone it down in that kind of scenario. Try, try to be a little, a little, just a little, a little contrite. sympathetic, maybe, or at maybe least a, try and engage a, in good faith. Maybe a little apologetic, maybe a little acknowledgement of the mistakes that have been made thus far. You know, stuff like that. But yeah, it's so funny because like West Wing, West Wing is clearly a huge influence on how she perceives her role. And like, you know, and then gomless liberals who like eat it up on Twitter of like, yes, queen. Yeah, slay 2000 Americans every uh, day. She came out with a sacky bomb. Like, oh, like oh my gosh. Yeah, it's just. 
And, and this is why we started this whole thing, was to talk about how this West Wing cultural poisoning is affecting our actual real-world politics, and lo and behold, what a perfectly timed example. I mean, I, w- and- I, I wish we had poisoned Joe Biden into playing chess with his chief of staff. <laughs> <laughs> so the chief of staff uh, could 26 them, like, like immediately. Like, like I said, I just want that captured on video somewhere. <laughs> like, that needs to be streamed out as entertainment for the nation. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think that mostly does it for this episode. Any final thoughts? Let's uh, it was, take it, like it was. Oh, I just wanted to say watchability wise, I thought it was like pretty watchable. Yeah, even though like because it's so busy, you don't have time to get bored, kind of thing. Yeah, it was it was pretty snappy. I mean, you had a lot of and obviously like, the guest stars are what what make it yeah. these days, where they have an excuse to deviate from the routine. You know, for mm-hmm. whatever reason, and clearly just, they're just from making just our up. mains. Yeah, clearly yeah. they're just making up reasons at this point. But yeah, yeah, yeah. The, this is definitely like a writers through darts at a wall kind of episode of like, uh, what do we need? Uh, Zoe and Charlie start dating again. Okay, yeah, we've got a PTSD. Oh yeah, they they throw in a minor subplot with Donna uh, seeking out help with her PTSD from the uh, Israel bombing uh, with uh, Kate. And they have like a little gal pal moment of like, yeah, you, you know, you should, you should get help. I'll help you get help kind of thing. Yeah. That's nice. I mean, offering each other support in that. It's nice and cute, but didn't really bear any in-depth discussion. (laughs) She says, I I get angry over everything. I cry over nothing and I reject offers of help. I was like, wow. Well, welcome to C-SPAM, Donna. (laughs) Welcome to (laughs) C-SPAM. COVID times, baby. So that does oh, it for, for this particular episode. Thanks, as always, for listening. We appreciate it. We appreciate you all. Uh, we appreciate your feedback. You can comment in either one of our threads on Something Awful or on Bread and Roses. And if you found the show a different way, hello, welcome. And you could email the show, uh, if you'd like, at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. And I'm taking a quick jaunt over there real quick to see if we if anybody's bothered to email me. And it's not loading, so we're just going to put that past us. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Right. Well, again, thanks as always for listening, everyone. Stay safe out there. Uh, Omicron's going crazy yeah, right Jesus now. Yeah, Jesus Christ. COVID's real bad. Just uh, stay do, indoors if do, you can. Do, do your best to stay safe, self-isolate, and uh, Wear a respirator. We'll see you next time. N95s, baby. Join N95 or Respirator Crew, and we will see you next time on another episode of The Worst Wing. Bye. Bye-bye. Twelve yard long, two lanes wide, sixty-five tons of American pride. Can you narrow? Can you narrow? Top of the line in utility sports. Unexplained fires are a matter for the courts. Can you narrow? Can you narrow? She blinds everybody with a super high beam. She's a squirrel squasher, deer smacking driving machine. Can you narrow? Yeah. Can you know?